You got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry. Pulse Welcome to, their to Electric industry. People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard. Jeff Curl. Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The League presents Electric People. Electric People, welcome back. We are sitting here with endurance athlete and professional chef, Jared Simons. What's up, Jared? What's going on? How are you, man? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for braving traffic and venturing down south for us today. Did you get your workout in today still? I did. Nice. All right. Some light light weight training this morning. Is that all it was? That's all it was, believe it or not. I've been doing biceps every day for about a month. Is that recommended? (laughs) Well, that's who you're doing them for. <laughs> biceps. Just only. only biceps. That's, that's right. It. Yeah, buys and tries. Um, to kind of intro, I'll maybe um, give our listeners a little bit of an introduction into how I became aware of your story, sure. which we're just interested in, in telling today. So um, some of the group, we just had lunch, and you met some of the group that we had done racing with, but um, it was maybe three or four years ago, a group here at Vivint Solar had gotten together and said, hey, let's do a triathlon. Some people had done triathlon. I had never done it before. And um, started training, started, uh, it was funny too, because I didn't have a coach. We'll talk about coaching and how important that is. But my coach was like YouTube and then like <laughs> trying to do the swim stroke is, is a disaster. But um, as I was- a good plan. Yeah. It's a good plan. Like, why, why wouldn't you just be able to pick it up? I feel like you know? I, I'm somewhat of an effective person. I'm surprised at how poor this theory was, but <laughs> we, uh, as I started looking into triathlon and stuff, I came across, uh, I guess I'd call it your brand. So um, Love the Pain, a company that you're affiliated with, uh, makes these really incredible, awesome kits that are super well designed and everything like that. And so um, we had gone and we did this race and Jared was at that race. And that was the first race I'd ever run, the one that I met you at. Wow. Yeah. I think that was the first race that anyone ever asked me to take a group photo. Oh, really? I felt, I felt like a rock star. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> like, well, in my mind, he's, he's got, you know, these professional photo shoots. You're like the, uh, everything loved the pain. I saw your face on that. I was like, hey, love the pain guy. We were all in like our kits. We were your yeah. first groupies, man. Yeah. So, but since then, um, I've come to learn a little bit more about your lifestyle, about your, you know, your plant-based chef and the way you train and the way you do your business and stuff. And uh, it's interesting, the, the podcast is called Electric People. And so you're, you're a standout in that field. I don't know much about it, but I'm, I'm glad that you're here. And well, thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah. So maybe um, to start out, let's start with triathlon. Sure. Um, you weren't always a triathlete, you've mm-hmm. only, and you're advancing past that now, but maybe talk about how you got into that and um, let's talk about what you've learned from, from endurance Absolutely. racing. Absolutely. So I didn't have a background in triathlon, swim, bike, run. Um, I grew up wrestling, and then uh, where did you grow up? Are you from California? San Diego? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So um, straight out of high school, I moved to the Bay Area, to San Francisco, and went to culinary school, and that's kind of where my um, well, my my professional chef career began. And um, you know, over the years out of high school of cooking in professional kitchens, um, you know, there was. Uh, I, I still would exercise, um, you know, weight train, run, but bi- a lot of biceps. <laughs> and um, I was still single at the time, so it was a lot of biceps. Lot of biceps. <laughs> um, but, you know, over the years, you know, cooking professionally takes a toll on the body, um, especially on the waistline. And when you're in, con- you're, you're unconventional hours too, right? Yeah, most, most chefs are, you know, uh, afternoon to late night. So, 
um, long hours, a lot of poor food choices. Mm -hmm. And you know, while I worked out, um, I just I, did, I didn't burn the calories as, as uh, quickly as they went in. Um, so uh, shortly after I moved to Los Angeles, I, I moved to LA when I was uh, 26. Some of these some of these uh, dates are they're a little gray at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was about 26, and I, I moved to LA to open a restaurant. And you know, about two years in, I really kind of had lost all uh, all things related to exercise. Um, you know, didn't have a business partner, long hours, um, and I put on quite a bit of weight. Uh, the diet was really no breakfast, no lunch, uh, you know, junk food for dinner, perhaps some drinks, and then, uh, then to bed late. And are you just like going, like are you just kind of sustaining yourself so you can stay on your feet and keep going? Is it like much. super high stress, fast yeah, moving? Yeah, high stress, and that, you know, being that young and, and owning a business um, without having, well, without having a partner, I guess, mm -hmm. you know, um, the typical support you might have in a restaurant was, was very stressful. So um, I put on a fair, about, fair amount of weight um, and just felt like garbage. Uh, I've seen those pictures because you're open about it. Like I've seen your Instagram. Yeah, I was, I was uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 5'10 and, you know, I walk around about 170 pounds. I was 205 at my, I think my heaviest. And some of that was probably in the lack of beard though, right? You had that. Yeah, no, I had, there, had was, well, there was two chins. And, but, <laughs> but really, I think what really made me conscious about it was when my mom was like, told me I had man boobs. Um, that really. <laughs> Jeez, mom. That, the mom. That was the like, mom. you know, I was like, thank you. Um, did she call them man boobs? Yeah, she did. Wow. Yeah, yeah she, she did. Was, Hey, but if but she, she loves you tough, that's yeah, what you she need. She didn't complain about my cooking, but she called, She called, She told me I had man boobs. Yeah, the um, question I have is, during your worst state, were Reese's fast breaks a part of that I diet? I don't know a Reese's, Reese's fast I don't know that. You've never had a Reese's fast break? Adam no. sustains like 40% off of Reese's fast breaks. Yeah, this is my, my Achilles heel, the, my worst nightmare that I can't get out of is it's like his smoking with packet. Like, I mean, you've seen oh, a Reese's peanut mine? butter cup. Yeah, it's just a candy bar. Oh, that's a Reese's okay. no, candy I, bar. I, I never had that. My, mine don't was, eat one. Mine was pretty mm -hmm. much, you know, soda and and uh, you know cheeseburgers, late night cheeseburgers. That was mm. it. That was the fuel. That sounds um, so good right now. But a couple years into to having this restaurant, I really just started to feel like garbage. And like tired all the time. Tired, just my just like like the, my chest, just everything, you know, and. Uh, I ended up meeting a gentleman who owned a local gym. Um, he's now one of my good friends, and he gave me the opportunity, opportunity to come in and train, and train with him. I actually traded him <coughs> lunches at the restaurant for personal training. Oh, really? So that was, kind of, that was kind of my introduction back into exercise and, and health. I ended up taking off a fair amount of weight, and then was able to kind of just maintain over the years. Mm. Um, and I was probably, you know, your average, you know, 30-year-old going, going to the gym, doing, you know, a lot of biceps, um, a little bit of running, some rowing, and I, I looked good on the outside, but, you know, I don't, I don't know that I felt good on the inside. Um, so cut to uh, about 37, I ended up uh, seeing a piece on John Joseph from the Crow Mags, and it was, it was on Vice, and it was titled The Vegan Iron Man, and I watched that, and I was really blown away because you know here's John at 50 years old just crushing Ironman races and and I was intrigued and I kind of went home and told my wife I said I'm, I need to get a bike and she says well why and I said I want to do a triathlon and she was kind of like 
Try what? Just sounds like an expensive hobby. You just came um, up with an idea one day. That's what huh? I keep yeah. telling Ty. He keeps trying to get me to do it, and I'm like, Well, if you only do it once, yeah, it's like a ten thousand dollar race. Yeah, but, but if, if you keep doing it, yeah, right. it's it's worth it. You know, there's some value there. I mean, my body type and my realistically, I'm, I feel like I'm just not a triathlete. We need to live session this here. You need to fix this, man. Jared loves <laughs> you. You know, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. You see all sorts of shapes out there. I, know on, I can on swim. The course. I can swim well. Okay. That's assuming probably tall guys can bike well. Yeah. Swimming's probably the hardest for most people. Really? Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I think, I think I saw it as an opportunity as, as kind of just, you know, as a goal-oriented person. I was in the gym, you know, training, and I didn't, there was really no goal other than to maybe look good. Mm-hmm. But I saw this opportunity um, with triathlon is, is kind of to give myself a goal, you know, put a race on the calendar, train for it and let's see what happens. Um, so in the process of kind of researching the best way to go about training for my first race, um, I went back to John's story and you know, being the vegan Ironman, I started exploring a plant-based diet a little bit more and then kind of went down the rabbit hole of, of, you know, um, plant, of plant-based athletes in general. And as an experiment, solely as an experiment, um, over the course of, roughly a month, six weeks, I gave up something each week until by week six, I was eating completely plant-based. Gave up something like? Out of my diet. So uh, one week to, to, to achieve a plant-based diet. So the first week it was like, ch- oh, chicken's easy. Cool, scratch that. Um, then it was like fish. Cool, fish, I don't need red meat. Uh, we'll leave that. Dairy was the tough one to kick, you know, because cheese is kind of the big thing that most people yeah. love, can't live without. Um, but I finally kicked it. And Were you replacing it with something else? At the time, no. I was, I was pretty strict. I was like, you know, I'm kind of starting this new regiment. I'm going to eat really clean. Um, I, was, I was a little more d- diligent about the macronutrients of like, okay, so um, I'm not eating meat any longer. I need to make sure, you know, the, the, there's, there's still protein in my diet. Um, you know, kind of doing this, I guess, more, less from a nutrition's per, nutritionist perspective, but more from like, a chef's perspective, okay, I know, I know this has protein, this has fat, and this has carbohydrate. So if I'm going to take something out, I'll just replace it with some a healthier option. Um, and so I did. And Is that hard to figure that out? That sounds like chemistry to me. It, well, I think after cooking professionally for 20 plus years, I didn't, no. I didn't yeah. find it challenging. So um, I didn't dive again too deep into the science. It was just more kind of like the surface, like, okay. Let's try it. And let's try it. But to be honest, by the end of uh, you know, a couple months of this, I really started to feel amazing. Um, I was getting better sleep. I was waking up earlier. I was uh, not bloated. Um, my sinus issues weren't, were gone. I wasn't snoring as heavily as I used to, which my wife was thrilled about. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt better overall. Uh, so I ended up completing my first race, uh, an Olympic distance triathlon a couple months later and just kind of got the bug for it and had signed up for a few more races um, later in the year. Mm. It's crazy. So we were talking earlier about um, how you make it work. So, you know, our guys, we run a direct sales channel like we've been discussing, <clears throat> and the schedule's not all that different. It's a lot of time from the early afternoon to kind of late evening on your feet, a lot of running around, a lot of like, you know, going to customers and things like that and kind of eating 
whatever's available. Gas station food. There, fast I mean, breaks. That's where the fast break problem came from. Yeah. Um, or just not planning for it. We right? are out. Our our job. Most of our customers are home in the evening times. So right. You're you're always out. You're in your car. You're not in an office where you can go to a a, a lunchroom and get your you know your lunch out of the fridge or whatever. You're just out in your car, and you're driving all over the place. So it's really really hard and challenging to have a consistent clean diet. Um, and then you're getting home at different times of the day. So that's kind of what I'm kind of curious about too is how, what do you recommend for people to balance? Because a lot of it's the way your body feels. Like all of a sudden you start feeling shaky or you start feeling, you're just like, man, I'm starving or like I'm starting to feel tired or whatever. So instead of eating something healthy, you go buy a Red Bull from the right. gas station, right? And it's in your mind, you're like tired, caffeine, Red Bull, like fixed. But the truth is, is like you said, you might even look good on the outside, but you're going to feel terrible, right? Yeah, and I think it, it really all comes down to preparation. And, you know, for me, um, early on uh, as, as a kid, you know, I started playing Pop Warner football, and then I kind of, that evolved into uh, wrestling and wrestling year-round. And so, you know, wrestling is a very demanding sport. And so I think there I kind of, uh, I was given a lot of tools um, uh, to use throughout life. And there was a period uh, prior to, um, you know, prior to, well, the, the m most recent phase of my life, you know, I, the restaurant where I was eating junk food every night and drinking and, um, you know, and I gained weight, I, I ended up closing. And so um, I kind of went back and realized I wasn't, at that point in life, I wasn't doing everything to be prepared. Uh, to be successful. So as I kind of rolled into this next phase, and especially with the triathlon and the diet, um, mm -hmm. it was about the preparation and kind of went all the way back to that high school wrestler and being prepared, um, kind of like the, the champion attitude, you know. That's really interesting. So you would equate, or at least you see the correlation between that restaurant closing and maybe the way that you were living your life in the 100%. way that... Really? Yes. Interesting. Yeah, we... Um, I believe that too. Like we'll always tell um, the guys that we perform in a manner consistent with how we feel. Yeah. And so a lot of times you don't think about it. If you show up to work tired, you're like, I just got to go. Or if you show up to work having not eaten or you're not emotionally, physically in the right spot, how much, again, we perform in a manner consistent with how we feel. If you feel crappy, a lot of times there's micro decisions or micro actions that ultimately lead to a underperformance. 100 percent right. and so i and i think to the point so the so for me the preparation and being prepared like for for my day um you know scheduling in my workouts um you know as a chef um your profession revolves around being uh time oriented and making sure that the restaurant is open at a certain time and when a guest sits down at a table they order food and they expect to get in a certain amount of time so i'm very conscious of that and so you know i took that to the next level. Um, you know, I scheduled in all my training uh, to fit around my work schedule. And then I kind of scheduled in, uh, you know, my eating as well. And if I know that, say, going on a road trip or driving to a race, you know, I'm going to be crossing the desert, we're going up north, wherever it is, where am I going to eat? I have to plan ahead. Or I'm prepared and I bring something with me in a, in a cooler. Um, you know, it's just like, if you don't put out those running shoes in the morning or at night, 
before you go to bed, the chances are you're not going to do it in the morning when you get, you know, if they're not there for you, you're going to say, I'm not going to do that run. Yeah. Like, I'm not prepared. It's actually crazy that we don't prepare. Like, thinking of, like, you know, you're talking about hunting, gathering, and uh, hunting, gathering early. Like, the fact that we go out into the neighborhood, speaking from, like, the job that we do, we just get in our cars and go out and say, I'm going to come home at 9 o'clock tonight and don't plant. That's actually more crazy because I do this every time. I drive home at dark and I'm like, I haven't eaten. What time is it? It's 9.30. What can I eat? Mm -hmm. Like, it would make more sense to be like, hey, before you leave, what, what are you going to do for yeah, food today? You, you know what I mean? Like, and the thing is, if you had something prepared and it was just in your car, you would just eat that. And you'd feel better and you'd perform better. Yeah. And, and you'd have more confidence. Yeah, and as a chef, you know, in a kitchen, there's a term called mise en place, which means everything in its place. So if we open the restaurant without having all of our ingredients in place, you're not going to get that dish of food you wanted. And you're slow things yeah. down. It's not going to taste so right. So it's, it's for me, it's just, I just, tr I translate what I do in my, in the job that pays the bills into kind of everything else that I'm doing in life. If you write a book someday, everything in its place. Mise en place, is that what you said? Mise en place, That's yeah. It. You don't have French to use terms. that title, but I think it found you just now. <laughs> so. yeah. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. And I, I, let's do it now. If you have any tips, because I'll, I'll pick a thing every single year that I focus on, something that I don't know anything about and I'll try to get good at it. And I've thought this year what I want to figure out is a good food system, mainly because my hobbies are, I'm like kind of full schedule on right. hobbies. And I feel like that's something that um, would create time. And I often think of like, okay, what's the one thing that I can do that's going to have the most impact? And I've thought for a long time, I've got to figure out my food system. Right. So what would you recommend or maybe what works for you? Knowing that, like what kinds of things do we prepare? Because I like the idea fine of being plant-based. I don't know anything about it. I don't know what I would make. I don't know what I'd put on my sandwich. Can you do Nutella? My family consumes a lot of Nutella. No, it's made with milk chocolate. Uh, okay. It <laughs> might be, you know, but We're, the funny they're not thing ready to hear that Nutella's the, out. That'll the be the last thing. The funny thing, though, move. with a lot of these products is everything's vegan now. Right. So th th just because it's Which vegan. Which means nothing's vegan. Well, yeah. it, doesn't mean, it doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy. You know, mm -hmm. you can eat Oreo. You can be an Oreo eating, French that. fry eating vegan if you want. You might, well, you might a, be into that. I get a PB and B vegan protein shake from my gym. In What's the, the other B? I don't know. But it says vegan on it, and it's got peanut so you butter. Go ahead and order mm -hmm. that. Yeah. But what would you recommend? Like, what, what are things that might work? Because I know the the way to fail. Iron Cowboy says this is subscribe to an extreme. Say, okay, tomorrow and forever else, I'm only going to eat this. Like, if it's an yeah. extreme, whole like fatty well, type thing. And but what's something that's applicable? Yeah, and I think I think with a with a plant based diet is you know there there's the extremes of there's the extreme vegan there's the extreme carnivores right now, and I think if you're not plant-based and perhaps you want to get there is be more plant forward, you know, cut during your week, start cutting things out and, um, you know, set yourself up for success. So I tell everyone, if you, if you can cook at home, cook at home, you're going to, you're going to be better off. You're going to, you're going to have better options than going out to a restaurant, okay. you know, so in cooking at home, you want to set your pantry up, you know, you want to get, uh, you want to get some different uh, rice, you know, brown rice, right? Whatever you like. You want to get legumes, uh, so beans. Maybe you want pinto beans, black beans, lentils, uh, different spices. You want to give yourself some, some options in the cupboard that can be cooked in bulk. So a lot of people these days like to meal prep. Well, you can cook a pot of beans, you know, on a Sunday night, and then you're going to have that for the next few days. Then in your fridge, you know, you, a couple days out of the week, maybe you shop, shop for all the all the fresh veggies you know get get your vegetables 
um, you know, and, and eat things you like, but, but put them in your fridge so when it comes time to cook dinner, you have what you need. Otherwise, you know, if you have that empty fridge and that empty cupboard, you're gonna, you're, you're gonna probably end up on some sort of, uh, you know, Postmates or a delivery, delivery and the options are gonna be so much more limited. So you gotta just set yourself up for success. What about, what about like the Impossible Burgers and like the, cause I've seen now that like fast food chains are starting yeah. to carry like meatless meat, yeah? Great, I think they're great products. Um, I eat them from time to time, I enjoy them. You know, prior to becoming plant-based and actually caring about what I put into my body, I used to go to Wendy's every Saturday night. Prior to being plant-based? Yeah, that what was kind of- What was your drug of choice at that was my That was my guilty pleasure and I, I would get this double stack, it's like a double cheeseburger. I was always fascinated by this square cheeseburger. That weighs like a like a dense pound. Yeah, like it just sits in your. Head. Um, you know, so I get that the fries, the the chicken nuggets, a chocolate frosty, and you know. You're just going through the dollar menu and saying, yeah, yeah a couple of exactly each. a dollar. And you know what? It's like you, it's it's just like a car. The gas you put in. Yeah. You know, if you put the 87 octane in, yeah. you're gonna run, but it's it's gonna be not so quite so. the same. But yeah. that was that was my thing. And, uh, so these, these products, like Impossible Beyond, I think they're great products, uh, especially for people that want to transition their diet. And I think they're great products for sustainability, for the environment. They're not necessarily healthy products. I mean, they're still processed. So I think, um, you know, I'm, I, we're all human. And, you know, I think, again, there's the extremes, the extreme vegans, extreme carnivores, um, you know, like, over the holidays, yeah, I probably had a few extra Impossible Burgers, but I'm human and I want to, I don't want to be so rigid. Sure. And I think in, in being an endurance athlete, you have to be somewhat rigid to, especially as you progress in the distance, um, you know, say Ironman races, there's, there's more training, there's more to be done. So you have to be a little more rigid about getting it done. And, and, I, and I was telling you earlier about, you know, some of the people you see at Ironman races, they're not professional athletes, but they take it just so seriously it's just it's almost too serious there's there's no fun left in it so i think for a guy like myself who wants to still have a little fun like you know having that impossible burger on a weekend night it's not a bad thing yeah well and you know you know james lawrence but he he said that he subscribes to a jesus diet have you heard about this <laughs> so he says if it's from the earth he'll eat it but then so meat's not off the table for him whatever and you know you have these things where some days depending on your diet bread is bad and some days you know, all, you should eat 100 eggs and some days you shouldn't eat any eggs, right? So, but he just says, okay, if it's from the earth, I'll eat it. And I try to subscribe to a B plus average. So I think the B plus average part is the human element that you're talking about where it's like, listen, I, like, if I have family over for the holidays, I want to be a part of it. But at the same time, being somewhat conscious of what you eat probably leads to better performance. No, 100%. And I think, you know, also, you know, maybe you're someone who lives off-grid and you know you're you're eating things from the earth but it's maybe an animal you know that you you killed and you have utilized that animal in every way you can in your diet and for your family um, I, I don't I don't necessarily have an issue with that you know uh, because that when we're talking about from the earth I'm gonna say that's probably a higher higher quality. I mean, there's definitely an issue with anim animal agriculture in this, in this world today. So um, I think that's where you have a lot of the extreme vegans. And that's ultimately kind of uh, where I fall now. Um, when I changed my diet four years ago, I had, 
I really, I really didn't look at it from, that, from an ethical perspective. It was more of a health and performance perspective, but it over time starts to affect you. And you, know, you definitely feel more sustainable as a human, and then that ethical component kind of slips in there. And you, know, you start to really think about that. And so I've actually made the decision not to cook animal product any longer. Um, you know, as a chef of 20 years, that was a tough decision because my, the, my, the, my job pool just got a lot smaller. And so, you know, I kind of had to create my own, my own job, which is the project I'm working on next. Well, it's, um, ethics play a big part in your, your just feeling good at when you're sleeping at night too, right? Like you're doing something that you're passionate about, you believe in the cause. I think it's a big part of the reason why we have a lot of our guys attracted to solar. I mean, they feel like it's more than just you know, a commission-based job or putting solar panels on homes. It's like, no, we're, we're changing the way people get their power. It's a more sustainable, cleaner solution than what's out there, right? So um, it's a big part of it. I did want to ask you, have you ever seen this show Cutthroat Kitchen? Or have you ever, ever heard of it? I remember. I have seen a couple episodes, yeah. So have you heard of it? So it's um, Cutthroat I'm going to do a disservice now, but uh, we had one of the contestants that was on Cutthroat Kitchen. We had her... Um, basically be our chef at one of our leadership events we had. So she brought all of her stuff and like made all of our dinner and like she was amazing. But um, the show is there's three contestants on there and the judges and the contestants before the round starts will pre-plan ways to sabotage the other chefs. And at the end of the round, um, regardless of what the sabotage you know methods were, they're still judged on the final product. Right. So the judges took it the final. So they may say, all right, you know, your uh, you know, thing that you don't get this round is any butter or whatever. And you have to make uh, some sort of cake or whatever it is, right? So, so they end up just having their entire round like sabotaged, but they're still just judged on the end result. And the judges don't care like what the story is. They're just like, does this cake taste good or not? Like that's, that's all it is. So it's like a very results based. And <clears throat> I've always kind of been, I'm sure you can relate, <coughs> excuse me, because as a chef, at the end of the day, nobody cares about the story leading up to the dish that you present to somebody, right? All they care about is that the dish tastes good. So The consumer today, yeah. That's, yeah, that's they don't care. They don't you care. could come out and be like, hey, just FYI, I ran out of oregano or I ran out of salt, and so this may taste a little bland, but, you know, enjoy and they're going to be like, no, I'm paying for this dish that's supposed to taste good. So if it doesn't taste good, I want my money back, whatever, right? So, um, but maybe talk about that because I think that probably translates into maybe just the way you approach your triathlons as well and just life where it's like nobody cares about the story along the way and all the obstacles that may be there. At the end of the day, you either accomplished the end result or you didn't, right? So do you feel like you've had to kind of overcome some of that stuff as a chef, as a triathlete, like, I mean, kind of walk us through your mindset. Yeah, I think, I think certainly, um, you know, I'm definitely a person and, and a lot of chefs kind of are a lot like this, control freaks. And so, you know, in the prep leading up to whatever the service or the event or whatever you're cooking for, I'm going to try to keep everything again in its place and keep as much control over the entire process. Um, as you can. There's just, I mean, there's a lot of variables and you can control a lot of them. Obviously there's some things you can't. 
And so, yeah, it's, it's very much like uh, triathlon. There's a lot of variables, um, you know, in a swim, you go into the water with a few hundred people, all sorts of things, all were. things, all sorts of things start happening. You know, um, we were talking about the weather earlier uh, in St. George. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't know what you're going to get if you go do a race there. It could be sunny, could be raining. Um, but I think whatever given, whatever you're given on that day, you know, you want to have the best possible outcome. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of what are your expectations for that day and. You know, did you achieve your best? Were you, you know, the best version of yourself in those circumstances? And so I think, you know, yeah, there's a lot going on, and you know, it's it's, but you got to hold true to that expect. You, you know, don't throw don't throw the out the window. Just hold true to it and kind of work towards yeah. that. You mentioned earlier when you were making the shift toward. Um, your diet that you would give up one thing weekly why not just give it up all at once well it's a lot like uh you know why, why not just go cold turkey on because most most people who do anything cold turkey it's the, the i think the um, the percentages of being su successful are, are pretty slim um i've you know again it's for me it was it's being plant-based or being a, especially being a plant-based eater um, it's more of a lifestyle, just like an endurance athlete. It's more of a lifestyle, you know. Um, it's it's not a diet. I didn't prescribe to this diet for 30 days, 60 days, the length of uh, whatever you know, whatever the program I signed up for. It's for me. It's more of a choice, a day-to-day -day choice to eat this way to feel better. And it's so, though, and way, so, right? yeah. So by by slowly, um, you know, weaning off of animal product. It just it, it just made the process easier. I think people that go cold turkey then don't don't really know what to do with themselves, or they don't know what to eat, or now suddenly they're not eating any anything that they were eating before, and then they freak out and just like that, you know, the circuits get haywire, yeah. um, and there's just there's not there's no success. But it's it's really more of a lifestyle choice, just like you know I said with with endurance. Uh, I think the the longer you participate in endurance sports and you know the longer the distances get it's really more of a lifestyle like my training now is kind of it's built into my into my life um, you know while it's different each day it's not like it's not like it's something unexpected like oh my god tomorrow i got to run like i know tomorrow i'm going to swim bike or run or lift or whatever it is it's it's just part of my now day to day routine it becomes routine really yeah i feel like i feel like once there's a real difference from signing up for a program and making a decision. Have you always been, the things that you've decided are pretty intense. Like most people decide to maybe try to cut out sugar or whatever, but you say, I'm going to be plant-based and I'm going to do triathlons. Those are, I don't know if you recognize this in yourself because <laughs> you're in your own head, but most people can't, like, have you always committed to big things and do you think it comes easy for you? Well, you know, I, I opened my first restaurant when I was 22. It was just something I kind of fell into, mm -hmm. and maybe I was a bit naive. And so, kind of like when you do your first Ironman, you don't really know what to expect. So, right. a lot of people who do, who who do have done multiple Ironmans, sometimes their first race is their best because there's they've kind of taken off 
There's, there's the expectations are, are gone. I'm going to see what happens and give it my best. It's like a brand yeah. new rep that has a yeah. horrible door approach and whatever else, and they, they go sell a they couple. Have no they have no but fear. But it's because yeah. they have no fear, the enthusiasm for the job. It's they're like, not critical. They're yeah. not critical. They're not overthinking it. They're just, there's no expectations, no pressure. So I think perhaps, perhaps, again, being young and making some of those those decisions, yeah, it was it was being naive, but now I think committing to bigger things, it's a lot. Like I kind of prescribe, and you know, I, I think you've had a lot of people on on the show that there's kind of this common thread of like, you know, a lot of the, the a little victory each day. We're going to get to the bigger mm -hmm. thing, um, but you know, definitely subscribing to the David Goggins approach of there really is no finish line, and. You this know, is just what I'm doing. This it's is like who I, am, I did. I did. I you know because my wife asked me. She's like another race. Like well, yeah, because for me, one, I enjoy it. Um, there's definitely there's some escapism in it. There's a way to, you know, I've been cooking professionally for over 20 years, and in the trajectory is, it is what it is, and you get to a place where you know there might be a plateau. The creativity isn't quite there. Or, the, the grind is a little bit different. And so by going and doing something physical, that's just physically and mentally challenging, I make that, that almost becomes the hardest part in the day. So the rest of it's easy. So work's easy. So work becomes, yeah, the, the work, the thing that, it, you know, the thing that we don't really want to do, and suddenly we want to do it because yeah. it's, it sounds a heck of a lot better than sitting on a bike for six hours. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there, I think the whole like no finish line approach, um, I really appre I, I appreciate that because we want to keep, we want to, you know, we're always evolving. We want to be the best version of ourselves in whatever we're doing, whether it's work, athletics. So there's just a constant evolution. And so I think, I think as, you know, the longer you go in, you know, whatever, whatever program you're in, you, you subscribe to, the bigger the things get and the bigger the program gets. It's interesting that you mentioned, um, you know, your, we'll call it, we'll call it lifestyle. You said it was a hobby earlier. It's probably more than a hobby. I think some people's hobby is playing pool. Yours is, yeah. <laughs> right? It's definitely racing's a lifestyle. It's interesting, like, that you're touching on your being able to immerse yourself in something recreational and developmental, how that helps you professionally. I've always had the theory that people burn out often, not because their job is so hard. It's like the thing, it's not how heavy the weight is, it's kind of how you carry it. Um, so when you got into racing, did you notice a correlation in your performance and work? Or did you, maybe it's just your mentality about it? Well, I think, I think it went hand in hand of the change in diet. That was all at the same time. The change in diet and the, and, and especially training after the first season, training for an Ironman, like doing my first Ironman race. I think there was just like a general, there was just, more happiness within and it's funny because i yeah i think women picked up on it more than men but there was always a comment from a woman like a lot of times you know when i walk up to a table at a restaurant or at, at, at the restaurant and you know ask people you know how are you enjoying things you know what's going on and people that know me they would look at me and they say wow you're 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 kind of glowing your skin you're very it's like radiant like there's a good energy and i think it was Interesting. It, it was it was from from those two things, um, but yeah, at, again, at, before that, yeah, I was I was doing the same work, 
but it, it had maybe just become a grind. Ty says all the time, you got to live a life that you're excited about yeah. outside of work to make your work more enjoyable. So it's like if your day is go to work and then outside of work you're not doing anything that you really love or you're passionate about or you're excited about, it just makes work a lot less enjoyable too. Well, I think, I think yeah, I, I mean, the general population, I don't know what the, the actual percentage is, but I'm gonna say the majority of people don't enjoy work, like they just don't enjoy their job. Now, it's a job, like so I get it, like it's not meant to be enjoyed every single day, like you gotta li at least like what you do, but there's gonna be hard days and easy days and um, you know, unfortunately kids today, they definitely just don't wanna work in general, they just want everything handed to them. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, definitely having that outlet um, you know, I've always been someone that, that enjoys, you know, cooking, I work with my hands. As a kid, I built Legos. I took drafting in high school. I've always enjoyed building things um, with my hands. And, you know, I enjoyed math, I enjoyed science. Those two things apply to cooking, um, you know. And then I think with the triathlon stuff, I'm actually, I'm just enjoying the process of building myself. It's an interesting thing. I think. It's interesting that you mentioned other people noticing it in you, um, the glow and stuff like that. But I think, how much of that too do you think is being proud of yourself? I think the opportunity to work on something that when you finish where you're like, wow, no one really knows how hard that was for me, except for me. Do you, how much of that do you get from, from your training and your lifestyle? I really, you know, I, I, I think early on there was a bit more of it. And then again, as, as the further you go, the more normal it gets. So you kind of, yeah. it's, a, it's always finding the new normal. Right. So, you know, the I, Iron Man became normal. Now there's some things in Iron Man, I think, you know, I would still want to like work on for this season and improve on. And there, it's, a, it's a performance aspect. I know I'm going to finish, Iron, like any Iron Man I go to, unless some sort of catastrophic event, I will finish, I will finish the race, no problem. Yeah. I can finish the race. And it's now finishing the race faster and more efficiently. And then that becomes normal. And then so it's like, okay, I can make the decision to stay at that distance and get faster at it. But I've, I've kind of made the decision I want to move on and go farther. I'm fascinated by the going farther. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you, had, when you had an Iron Cowboy and he was talking about someone doing 100 Ironmans, you know, that's like, okay. We're, just, we're all like, slow down, <laughs> slow down. Right, but. You're there, but we're still back but here. But it's, yeah. it's just like, you know, I, I, I'm not saying I'm that person that wants to do the 100. I'm just saying for me, like, I want to see how far I can take myself because, again, it makes everything else in the day so much easier. Interesting. So you have a bunch of different endeavors that you do. You've had uh, uh, steaks in restaurants. You're starting a restaurant now. Correct. Is that right? You had a soap company. I was telling Adam earlier, I was like, you kind of got this, like, Tyler Durden life a little bit well, where you're making soap, you've got this other stuff that you're doing and then your day job somewhere in there too. You well, know? I, think, I think I was, yeah, I was always very fascinated by Fight Club and that's honestly why I started making soap was oh, I, really? I watched Fight Club one too many times. Fight Club's I actually was but, thinking about Fight Club three minutes ago when you were talking, we were talking about doing a life worth living outside yeah. of work. It's like that's the whole concept behind Fight sure. Club, right? Yeah, and, and I, I, was, I was always fascinated by Tyler Durden, and so that's where kind of the soap came from, and uh, a buddy had asked me, 
he knew I was kind of tinkering around with it, and he had asked if I could make some soap for his brand. He has a luxury, um, call it a luxury clothing brand, lifestyle brand. And he said, can you make some soap? And I honestly made him what I thought were samples, a box of, of these. He asked for uh, black bars of soap that looked like charcoal and smelled like smoke, like campfire. I made them. He just says like, hey, I know a guy that li like, likes to make stuff, so can well, you figure this out? Well, he knew I had been tinkering around with soap. Oh, okay. And so he had asked, but I was, I was doing it more of like, I was making it for myself. Mm -hmm. And so he said, well, I know you know how to make it. Can you, this, here's the specs, make this. It's like man soap. And I did, and I thought it was like, just here's the samples, and it was a lot of, it was like 30 or 40 pieces. So I was like, oh, it's a lot of samples, but here, enjoy it. And he just was like, smelled it, and went in the bathroom, and he washed, and he, he wrote a check and he's like, here you go. He's like, thanks for the soap. And I, he's like, you should be doing this. And he's a very creative person. And so I took that as, okay, coming from him, like I respect his opinion. And so it was something I kind of, I mean, it's still a hobby. Um, you know, my wife told me I needed to monetize it. That's when I put the logo together and made a website. Because um, if it's gonna, it Whitechapel Soap Company. Whitechapel Soap. Yeah, and uh, it's, just, it's just something I do for fun. Again, I like I like working with my hands, mm -hmm. and and honestly, that was some solar soap. yeah, something that smells like <laughs> energy efficiency yeah. and the sunshine. Sun. No, it's got to smell like the sun. Go for it. What does the sun smell like? That's hey, good, that's that's go. for you, creative guys, to figure but, out. You know, that was pre um, pre triathlon days, so that was just a, I knew, I wanted a creative outlet. So at the t at that time, I was probably doing a little more surfing and a little more soap making. Now it's, you know. The, create out, the creative outlet just kind of continues to shift. Mm -hmm. So now I'm excited because I'm working on a new concept. It's a plant-based taco concept called Taco Vega. So now we're kind of back to, you know, we're back to square one with like the creation of something. It's a restaurant, like an actual It's a restaurant, restaurant. yeah, in Los Angeles. So, um, but the excitement comes for me, I've been, you know, cooking 20 plus years. The day-to-day -day cooking for me is, is like, that's, that's behind me. Um, and I, I told the uh, gentleman that worked for me recently, you know, being a chef isn't, isn't always about cooking. Being a chef is about managing people. Really? Yeah, you get to a certain point in your career. And well, yeah, the food is important and the curation of the menu and the dishes is important. But as a chef, you're now in charge of a kitchen. So You're in charge of the final product and everything. Yeah, but yeah. it's about how to manage people. And if you can imagine guys that are not getting paid a lot of money to do a hard job. People don't, it's hard to find actually cooks today because people don't want to cook because it's, it's kind of a crappy job. Yeah. You know, long hours, you know, you're working at night, late, um, your social life sucks. You know, you're not making a lot of money. And so to find people to actually do that, it's, it's tough. Um, so when you have a team of guys that are doing this job, you know, how to manage them to get everything you can out of them to, to make sure that your vision is executed to the best it can be. What, what lessons have you learned there? Because that's interesting, because a lot of our sales leaders get their jobs as sales managers through performance and selling. So it's probably the same way, right? You probably grow to be a chef because you created an incredible product, but managing and making food are such different skills, just like selling and managing no, people. They are, and, and, and in the climate of the workplace today, it's changed a lot because, you know, I'm probably like the last generation of chefs that got yelled at and were able to yell up until recently, if that makes any sense. No more yelling? No, you, know, you, you can't, can't yell. yell. You can't yell, and it's, it's funny because 
you know, I grew up playing football and, yeah. you know, wrestling. And, and so for me, being yelled at was like, that's, that's part of those, coaching, that's part of coaching in those <clears throat> sports. And like, that's, I think, you know, when you're a kid and that's what you're, that's what you know. Um, so early on, and I was also like my first chef job was, was essentially, you know, when I was in my mid twenties. So still a kid myself trying to manage people my age and older and you know, the yelling and you could still get a response from that. But if you yell at people today, they just, they simply shut down because they don't know how to process it. They don't, they don't, the tough love is, does, doesn't exist today. Well, you have, um, I talk about this with leaders, with our leadership sometimes where I'll see them like say, communicate to another, one of their counterparts or a sales rep or whatever. And they don't have the relationship equity to speak with them in the way that they spoke with them. So, and I was, the way I was uh, kind of the example I use is if I'm a NFL quarterback, you know, Tom Brady lines up, he sees one of his wide receivers not lined up in the right spot. He doesn't say, hey, um, number 11, would you mind taking two steps back? If you don't, unfortunately, the play is just not going to work the way it's supposed to work because the timing is going to be off and, you know, the defense is going to be tipped off what we're doing. It's just not going to work. Would you just please mind taking two steps back, please, before I snap the ball? Like, that's not the way he communicates, right? He just is like, yo, back up. And then he's like, sees him back up, and then he hikes the ball. Like, but he does that because he just doesn't have time to do it. And I feel like a lot of times we speak to people that way where we just do like the, hey, back up, but we don't have the, one, we're not in the same environment, right? So you don't have the luxury of just like yelling at people. But even in a chef's kitchen, that's probably what it was like, where you're like, I don't have time to sit and explain it all to you. I just yeah. need you to do this. Like, don't argue with me. But now we live in an environment where you have to explain the why behind something, or at least you better have a really good relationship with that person if you're going to speak with them that way. Well, and I think for me in the last couple of years, I definitely have put the time in to develop the relationships. Mm -hmm. So I have a little bit of leeway, um, especially in, you know, in crunch time, but it's a funny thing. It's a catch 22 because we're trying to be, you know, at work trying to communicate better. However, as a culture, we're all on our phones. So no one really knows how to communicate and connect anymore. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. yeah, it's, and, and that's, I think also with like the a younger generation of people, they don't, the, the way that they receive it, they're used to receiving it in text form. Whereas when I was, you know, some of my first chef jobs, I was using a payphone to call my friends when I got off my shift to find out what was going on that night or where we were going to meet up. So like, how to literally walk to the gas station across the street to use a payphone. I don't have a cell phone. Yeah. And then you um, better hope that they're at a phone. Right. Someone, someone's <laughs> mom answers, oh, there's so-and-so is there, you know, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. It's like, Joey's. yeah, but, um, you know, it's, it's a kind of a catch-22. I want to talk about how you use your time. Um, your schedule is similar to ours. Sure. So, again, afternoons and evenings. Um, one of uh, the sales leaders who used to be here, his name's Dan Reed. He actually races with us, too. But he once told me that um, autonomy is either the greatest blessing or the biggest curse. Some people get autonomy and they say, hey, you can kind of figure out your own hours, and they'll take that and they'll make something amazing with it, and some people it crushes them. In your life, you have racing and a soap business and kind of this, I don't know what you would call your business or your image representation, you photograph well, whatever it is, but you have all of that because you've mastered time. You've 
figured out a way to have a really exciting life? Yeah, I think, again, it's, it's being sensitive to, the, to my time. And, and this all goes back probably to wrestling. Wrestling, obviously, is an individual sport. So there is no one else out there that's going right. to help you. Um, so it, you know, it is whatever you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. So for me, with, with scheduling, it's, it's very much the same thing. It's um, you know, being efficient and working smart. So I, and it's funny, up until last year, I never really used the calendar in my phone. I try to just remember, oh, I remember mm-hmm. this appointment. Like even coming here today. In the past, it would have been something like, oh, I'll remember that and I'll just, I'll, I'll show up. But now I actually lay it in the calendar, you know, so I'll block out. 6 a.m. to 11 a.m. or 6 a.m. to noon uh, for, for training. What's nice now is uh, I use training peaks for all my workouts. You know, that actually uploads my workouts to my actual calendar. So that, oh, wow. that's, that's where cool. then I have the flexibility to say, okay, cool, now I know that if I'm gonna go run at the beach, it's gonna take me 20 minutes each way to drive there, an hour run, so we're gonna block out two hours. And then that now has opened up another four hours before noon, whatever it is. Um, so I plug everything in and, you know, when Love of the Pain calls me and says, hey, let's, let's work on some new gear, come over, let's take some photos, cool, I can be there on this day at this time, here's the window. Mm-hmm. And so I just use as m- many of the windows as I can in my day and know that at work, okay, I need to be to the restaurant, we'll say by 1 p.m., 2 p.m., and I can leave by 10 p.m., and then that gives me this amount of time to sleep. So the biggest challenge, so, and what I think a lot of people, especially in the endurance community, it's, it's their time starved because that's not, their, that's not their job. And so my coach uses a great philosophy of his three-legged stool of, you know, of kind of your sport, your work, and your family life. And so trying to, none of those, they're never gonna be, it's, it's never gonna be a balanced stool. Something's always gonna be a little bit longer, but as long as you have the three legs, you're still going to be standing. If you kick out a leg, that's when you, when you fall over. So I don't have any children. That's probably what allows me to get away with a little bit more of the um, extracurricular activity. Mm-hmm. Um, what did your wife do? My wife is in the nightlife business, so very busy hours for her as well. Um, and I think... Your schedules kind of correlate, so it's... Uh, yes and no. They're a bit... Some days they're the same, some days they're opposite. They used to be very opposite, and so it was kind of like ships passing in the night. But I think also, um, we, we joke around with people, like we, we didn't see each other, that's why we're, we're together. That's why, that's why but made it as we've, long. we've always found a way, for, exa- for me and for example, like in my schedule, I know Sundays is typically both a day we don't do anything. So I don't do any training on Sunday. She doesn't work, I don't work, that'll be our day to, you know, if we're gonna make social plans, doing something together, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then during the week, it's like, okay, what are you doing the next two days? Okay, well, this is my schedule, and then we plug in where we can. Right. How supportive of, of your um, training is she? Like, is that is that something that, we work a lot, a lot of us have families, and sometimes it's, you know, we know that it's necessary to have some balance, have some things that you can put yourself into, but often it's a challenge to say, hey, I worked till late, I'm going to surf in the morning, and it's kind of hard to balance that with family. Do you guys go through that? I think, well, yeah, I think in regards to, uh, you know, endurance, triathlon specific, um, you're going to get, your, your, your partner or spouse is going to be one of two people. It's going to be the person that does, doesn't get it. I don't get it. 
but okay, or they're gonna be the one that's either competing with you or at the race. Um, my wife is kind of like a good happy medium of, she doesn't quite fully comprehend it of the why, but she, but she understands to the degree of like, okay, cool, you're benefiting from it and that's, you're, you're, it's important, it's important happy, yeah. and it's helping you become a better version of yourself, so I get it. She comes, she's very supportive, she comes to uh, all the races. Um, doesn't you know triathlon's a horrible spectator sport yeah so you know she does her the best she can the rah rah but at the end of the race she's always there for me when i can't walk you know you gotta go go pick up your bike or whatever um and so (laughs) pull the van around uh one time in boulder she actually had to get me the uber she's like i'm getting you an uber like you're done um so you know yeah i think again it's just going back to that stool and and having open conversation of being like this is this is important to me. What you know with your spouse, your your partner, whatever it is, and just saying like this is important. Um, again, I don't have children, so my extracurriculars compared to some of my colleagues and friends is different than you know. Is it's just different. Yeah, um, that's all puzzle pieces and making it. Yeah, work. it's it's a hundred percent puzzle pieces and is being efficient with those pieces as you can. Well, that's awesome, man. That's about all the time we have. I I'm stoked for for to see what happens with the restaurant. Thank you. Uh, we'll have to make our way up there sometime. Taco you, Vega. When is it opening? Uh, I think hopefully in the next couple of months. So March. March. Oh, so you're on yeah, it now. Close. Cool. March 2020. Okay. Well, I'm always in LA and always needing we'll get tacos. get you off those uh, Reese's, Reese's things. You'll be eating <laughs> tacos. <laughs> you're going to see a Reese's taco on there. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but thank you for being on here and thank you for sharing and, and thanks for saying what's up to us at races and maybe you'll see us at a couple of course. I, lo- I always tell people like, it's a weird thing at races that, you know, I know you from it. Well, say hi. Yeah. Like, I don't know you yeah. or I don't fall. Like, I don't know who you are, but just say hi. And yeah. You end up meeting some really great people. I know. agree. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. And thank, thank you guys for being here. This is another episode of Electric People. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at viventsolar.com forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.